0: This episode was going to be about humor, and then the Oscars happened, and something happened there that I felt that I need to respond, and it's not going to be in the who should have done what context, but really something very subtle about trust. I'm going to delay it, and this is going to be in the next episode. For now, one of the things that we notice, and we know, and we realize, and I'll give you some data about it, is that trust is declining. It is declining very quickly and it has declined over a very long period of time, but the question is why? And in this episode, I'm going to explain why trust is declining, because the first step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one and recognizing why it's happening. So that's what I'll give you today. Let's look at some data, shall we? And you're not going to remember all those numbers, especially if you're driving right now and you're not going to take notes. Pew Research found that the level of trust we have in government has declined. During the Vietnam War, when you would think with all the anti-war demonstrations we would have the highest level of trust in our government, uh, the lowest level of trust in our government, we actually had the highest, 77%. And during the last two presidencies... We were under 17%. The level of trust we have in the media, that the media is telling us what we need to know, the media is telling us the truth and and is objective. A Gallup uh, survey uh, showed that it went down from 72% in 1976 down to 32% in 2016. Less than half. It lost more than half. Pointer research showed that uh, it declined 39% over the last 46 years. In fact, they showed a linear line that if I extrapolated, it it would show that by 2059, we will have 0% trust in the media. Edelman Trust Barometer is a good source for trusted institutions. They have very broad surveys. And uh, I remember in in, for one of my workshops, I I dug up the numbers. I found a decline. This was a workshop that I gave in 2019, right after the 2018. uh, Their barometer report came out. Uh, The U.S. ranking in terms of... uh, The the trust barometer or the level of trust we have in institutions in the U.S. dropped nine points from uh, 52% to 43%. And that was the biggest change and the steepest that they have ever measured. As new generations come into play, we see that they trust less. Uh, Once again, Pew Research did a study and found that uh, in one of their questions they asked most people th- this was a statement that they made most people cannot be trusted only 29% of people at the age 65 and above agreed with that so less than 1 in 3 people close to 1 in 4 people agreed that most people cannot be trusted but those are we they were asking people at the age of 65 and above between the ages 50 and 65 43% of people agree or strongly agree with that statement that most people cannot be trusted. Between the ages 30 and 49, 52%, more than half, agree that most people cannot be trusted. And between the ages of 18 and 29, the millennials, 60% agree or strongly agree with the statement that most people cannot be trusted. More than double those the, the level of agreement that you got in people the age 65 or plus, the agreement with the statement that most people cannot be trusted. I used to have a quiz on my website, uh, the front page, where I would ask 16 questions uh, just to get a sense of uh, the level of trust that you have in your organization based on your answer to those 16 questions. And one of the... answers that really bothered me was really an answer to the question, uh, do you have someone that you can trust in your company? And I found that 18.3% answered, no, I don't have a single person that that I can trust. And a company by definition was at least two employees. But what if there are more than two employees? Well, companies with more than 100 employees, that number was 14.3%. One in seven people. In a company with more than 100 employees said they don't have a single person that they can trust. It gets even worse when I talk about companies, uh, not not worse in percentage. It's just that you would assume that in a company with a thousand employees or more, the the probability of you not finding a single person you can trust in the entire company should be zero. But it's not. It's 9.6%. One in 10 people working for a company with more than a thousand employees said they didn't have a single person that they can trust so this is just some data that i collected there's a lot more data than that but i just wanted to start with let's at least agree that the level of trust is declining it's the level of trust we have in government in the media in institutions in other people and that's the important part in other people in my employer in, in my boss the level of trust is declining what I'll do next is explain why To explain why the level of trust is declining, I'm going to use my six component model. You know, the model that has the three components of who you are and the three components of what you do during an interaction, because it is a relative and it is a dynamic model. So I'll start with the three components of who you are, and I'll start with the first one. And the first one is competence. And I'm going to claim that the level of competence is declining and it's declining for two main reasons. The first one I believe is education. I believe that we are lowering the bar on education at all levels of education from K through 12 through higher education and graduate schools. I believe we lower the bar and I'm going to give you two supports to that. First of all, I think that the process right now of if I don't give good grades to my students, they're going to rate me worse. And as a result, two things might happen. One is that uh, students, other students are not going to want to attend my class. And then my class is not going to open because there is a minimum number of students that have to be enrolled for your class to open. And then you don't get paid. If you're an adjunct or, or if you're a, a any other professor or instructor or teacher that really depends on the number of students for a class to open. So what do I have to do to make sure that my class opens and, and that I get paid if, if that's my main source of income? Fortunately for me, it's not. I have to give high grades. And if I give high grades and students focus on their grades, they're taking the class to get a good grade and so that they get their diploma and and graduate on time and and get a job and and whatever, I'm going to have to give them good grades. I'm not going to give them low grades. And if I give them good grades, they're going to give me good ratings, good ratings. Other students will enroll. Other students will enroll. The class will open and I will get paid at the end. I'm not sure that that's a very healthy cycle here that promotes the quality of education as opposed to the quality of grades. There's another story and this is a K through 12 environment in 2018 a Florida teacher was fired for giving zeros to students who did not turn in their work their homework on time or they, they did not turn it up at all. Parents complained the school policy was that the lowest grade that the teacher can give is 50%. Teachers are pressured to give reasonable grades, even high grades, for low performance. You tell me, what message does that create? Does that increase competence or reduces competence? A student that gets an A at all grades, K through 12 and higher education, doesn't mean that they really have good mastery of, of the content, that, that they know how to apply it. I think that today we're teaching a lot more at the lower levels of the Bloom's taxonomy. We, we teach more knowledge. I, I need you to know the fact. Here's the fact. I need you to read the fact back to me or write it in a test. And if you can do that, then then you get 100 as opposed to the higher levels, as as opposed to your ability to apply that knowledge, your ability to analyze, to synthesize it, to create new content. We don't grade on that, and we don't expect that, and we don't expect that. We shouldn't expect the level of competence to be high. Still along the same lines are trophies for participation, we, we give trophies just for participation, and, and it cuts across multiple disciplines, but it cuts across education. Think about business plan competitions, for example, where I've seen in the past more than half of the students who apply, who submit a business plan actually get a prize. And, and, and two of the words that, in my opinion, started more or launched more failing businesses than any other words in history are the words great job. We just say great job, whether it is or it's not. And what we're doing when we say great job, when it's really not, is we lower the bar. We lower the expectations for performance and therefore we lower competence We all know about the great resignation. It's hard to find employees. And if it's hard to find employees, I just read recently somebody posted, I think it was either LinkedIn or Facebook, that uh, she asked the question, is it true that, that, am I the only one who feels that the quality of service is going down? Well, I'll tell you what, if you can't find employees, you're going to start sacrificing performance, quality of service of who you hire Against the fact that otherwise you're not going to have employees. So your inability to find high quality employees would force you to compromise at the quality and compromise competence of you as a service provider. So this is how competency is affected. This is why competence is declining over time and being part of the trustworthy or trust model that reduces trust. The next component in the model is personality compatibility. And, and we suffer from an ever decline, or actually I should say increase in political polarization, I would say decline in the agreement, a decline in, in across the aisle agreement. MIT has done a study that showed that the agreement across the aisle between Republicans and Democrats declined from, in 1977, that number was close to 13,000 agreements in roll call votes across the the aisle between Republicans and Democrats, even though the number of roll call votes went up 75% between 70, 1977 to 2007, the number of agreements went from 13,000 to 181. That's a dramatic decline in agreement across the political lines, which also suggests the political polarization we're in one of the other things that happens is our personality compatibility doesn't mean that we agree on 100 percent we actually don't need to agree at all we may be complementary not be identical be complementary but that that's a topic for a discussion of personality compatibility Uh, the more important part is that in some areas where we disagree we will not trust each other and the big question is how much do we prioritize them and the problem is that we're starting to prioritize issues that maybe we haven't prioritized in the past, but now we do. And that brings to light the disagreements that we have. So think about topics like guns or, or gun control, abortion, uh, immigration, health care. So we are changing our, we're bringing those issues where we strongly disagree, we're bringing them up in priority. And because of that, the personality compatibility component goes down. Now, one of the things that contributes to our uh, polarization is this this whole social media, I'll call it an echo chamber, chamber. What social media does, because you can't get exposed to 100% of the things that get published by the thousands of people that you are in in quote marks friends with because you, you can't get everything from everyone what social media does is what what appears to be pretty innocent they're letting you hear more from people who are like you people that that you typically interact with but this creates some kind of an echo chamber i i don't hear opposing opinions very much because frankly, social media doesn't uh, doesn't bring it to me. I hear mostly from the people that are like me and, and what I hear is my own echo. And that only creates more polarization because I don't hear the other people. I don't hear counter arguments to mine. Another thing that I'm going to spend a whole episode talking about is that we are changing from looking at things as two-dimensional, you know, when we have an argument, we are I'll call it reducing dimensions, the number of dimensions. So take, for example, one of the biggest arguments we have, especially during elections and right after elections, is this balance between voting integrity, and that is assuring that there are no false or fake votes, versus voting rights which is making sure that everybody gets access to vote. And we focus on the tools instead of focusing on the the, the destination, the end. Because the way we look at it is we we balance one against the other. Voting integrity, to increase voting integrity, has to come at the expense of voting rights. So take, for example, voting ID. Uh, Voting ID... Some people look at voting ID as a way to ensure voting integrity. Not having voter ID means that you are not assuring voter integrity. On the other hand, other people look at if you require voter ID and not every person has the ability to get a voter ID, then you're preventing people from voting. We're looking at it as a single dimensional issue. It's one or the other. Where, in fact, if we added a dimension, we should look at it as a two-way, as a two-dimension question. How do we increase voting integrity while increasing access to voting for people to exercise their right to vote? Because if we started looking at it as two-dimensional, then all of a sudden, we don't really have an argument because there's nobody who's going to say, I only care about voting rights. I don't care about voting integrity. No, everybody cares about both of them. But because we're pitting them one against the other, because we're putting them on a single dimensional line, then it's really becoming a matter of priority. What's more important to you? And that's, that's the direction or the end of the line where you're going to be. So, this is what we're doing to our personality compatibility. And this is why personality compatibility goes down. And because that's part of your trustworthiness or trust overall, then trust declines. The next component is symmetry. Symmetry and fairness is is a subset of, of symmetry. Equality is on the decline. We all know that there is a significant pay inequality between men and women, blacks and whites and and so on. That that part actually, as much as it is still there, it's not declining. It's staying the same. But on the other hand, take the CEO, the chief executive officer pay disparity. That is increasing. For example, the year I was born, 1965, the ratio between the CEO pay and the average pay in the company for for non-CEOs was 21 to 1. Still, you know, if you think about that, the CEO makes more than 20 times more than the, the employee. Can we justify it by the role of the CEO? I don't know, maybe. Did the CEOs increase in their role by 1989? To justify going from 21 to 1 to 61 to 1? I don't think so. But between 1989 and 2020, so this is not even 40 years. I mean, that's barely over 30 years. That number went from 61 to 1 to 351 to 1 ratio. The CEO makes 351 times more salary, more pay than you do. What do you think that does to affect symmetry? Uh, other things uh, around symmetry, I think, are the, some transitions that, that we're seeing between us being on the same side, being um, inspired by the same vision and the same mission, to I'm there just to get paid. And, and if I'm there just to get paid, you, you see more practices of internal competition, uh, competition for pay increase, competition for um, promotions and, and things like that that cause the symmetry to go down. And if symmetry goes down, trustworthiness goes down. And one of the reasons this is all happening is because we are more focused on ourselves at the workplace, the world revolves more around me. And I'll talk more about that a little later. I'm going to switch now from the three components of the who you are, the competence, personality, compatibility, and symmetry, to the three components of the what you do when you interact with other people. And the first one, the big one is positivity. This sets the direction. Time and intimacy accelerate them, but positivity sets the direction. So the first thing is the level of BS, the level of BS that uh, that we put in an interaction. The marketing techniques that are being used today—you know, promising value that they can deliver, deploying all kinds of bait and switch uh, tactics, hiding behind the small print, uh, providing bad customer service—those are things that that cause us to lose trust. This is BS. You don't know if you can trust what you're getting. I mean, heck. The technology that, that we have today between social media and, and email and cell phones and, and text messages and phone messages, I just hung up the phone on somebody trying to sell me my my a warranty, an extended warranty for my car. And of course, they start the message with your car warranty is about to expire. No, it doesn't. I actually have lifetime warranty on my car. So why call me and tell me that my car warranty is about to expire? Well, first, because that's not true. Did you know that uh, we received over 54 billion spam calls in 2020? And 55.4 billion spam text messages in 2020. In So just so that you know, that means that one in four phone calls is a spam call. I don't know. I think I get more than one in four. And 37% of all texts are spam texts one of the things that i i one of my pet peeves is this whole best-selling author when somebody says i'm a best-selling author based on the fact that i took my book on kindle reduced the price to 99 cents which is not the regular price asked 10 of my friends to buy that book in one day after moving the book from a business category where it belongs to the category of i don't know sex lives of cats and uh, we which is a category much less visited and therefore my book became number one best-selling in Lithuania which makes me an international best-selling author is this what what people really expect when when they read that somebody is a best-selling author or a book is a best-selling book it's not and I'll I'll have an episode on that in the future I promise it's just that I always get emotional when I start thinking about that and and I put the episode aside so those marketing techniques they cause us to trust less. To whatever somebody tells you, you assume that that it's BS. Cybercrime, identity theft. Identity Theft Resource Center showed that the number of data breaches went from 614 cases in 2013 to 1529 cases in 2017. More than 2.2 billion victims were, were exposed in 2018. This is not just marketing technique. This is we're trying to steal something from you. We're stealing your identity so we can start a, a credit card and so on, but we're stealing something from you. There's a group called the Eight group, A-I-T-E, and they claim that 47% of Americans experience identity theft in 2020 alone. And that the losses added up to $712 billion, which is 42% more than the year before. So when you get all of this, you tell me, how confident are you? How much can you trust what somebody tells you? Knowing that either they're trying to just, you know, provide value that you don't deliver, sell you something that you don't need uh, for much more than, than it's valued, or actually trying to steal something from you. But to add to that BS component of positivity, we have confirmation bias. Right, And I think I told you that story in an earlier episode that one morning at about 6.55 a.m., I heard during the the COVID pandemic, uh, I heard that the number of cases in Texas went down 60%. Well, that's great news, except that five minutes later, without me touching the remote control, when NBC went from the local affiliate in DFW to the national Today show they started the program with the number of cases in the South, specifically in Texas, went up 81%. And I thought to myself, how could that be? How could it be that within a span of five minutes, two affiliates of the same network would report a decline of 60% and an increase of 81% in the same thing? And so when I checked their data, the CDC data showed that they were both actually right. It went down 60% over the last month, but it went up 81% over the last week. So they just gave us pieces of information. They didn't give, give us the whole truth. They gave us a piece of the truth that supported what they wanted to say next. And in the Texas case, specifically the local affiliate, they talked about minus 60%, which was kind of justification for the governor to ban mask mandates. We don't need mask mandates if the number of cases went down 60%. The national program showed 81% increase because they wanted to uh, encourage everybody to go get vaccinated. The political correctness efforts, and and we became a, a country of political correctness, and I would probably say world full of political correctness, That has a big impact because when somebody says something to you, do they really say what they mean? Or are they pressured to say something? Maybe they're afraid of being sued and that was the topic of my first TED Talk in in 2018. When you hear an apology, is it real or is it trying to achieve something? All of that goes under this this umbrella of what I call BS. BS and that's part of positivity and and it's really part of negativity because it's going downhill and because it's going downhill, because the level of cybercrime is going up, you don't know who to trust, uh, you, you assume everything is BS. Because of the marketing techniques that are being used, you assume BS. Because of confirmation bias becoming more pervasive, you assume BS. Because of the role the political correctness takes, you assume BS in, in what you hear. You trust the other person less because of that. The second part of, of uh positivity is empathy and this is where you know the world revolves around me there was a study done in 2017 that used the world values survey database and based on that database what they found was that over a period of 51 years in 78 countries the level of what they called it uh was individualism practices and values it went up by 12%, so we're we're more individualistic, which is really a a way to say, a nice way to say, the world revolves around me. Well, you might say 12% over 51 years, not a big deal, but in English speaking countries, including Australia, UK, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and guess who, the US. That number was not 12%, it was 60% in practices and 69% in values. We believe that the world revolves around us. We believe that, we practice that, and we show that as our values. And that's another reason why the positivity of interactions is going down. And as a result, guess what? Trustworthiness and trust are going down. There are two more components in the model. And those are time and intimacy. And I'm going to lump them together because there's not a lot to say about them. Uh, if you remember, I talked about Robin Dunbar, who's a British anthropologist and I believe psychologist as well, social psychologist, uh, that, that looked at the size of our brain, our, our uh, neocortex, I believe, and find that and found that we can accommodate in our brain a limited number of friends. And he put it at 150 friends at a certain level. So those are, uh, he calls them kind of real friends, uh, acquaintances, however you call them. Well, what do you do when you want to put there 5,000 friends, and I'll put the word friends in uh, quote marks, on Facebook or LinkedIn? You don't know really who they are, but those are the people you interact. So I believe that we have fewer real friends, you know, the type of friend that you can really, really count on to have your back, Ask yourself, you know, go back in time. Go back to when you were a child, maybe when you were a teenager, maybe a little older than teenager. To me, it was when when I served in the military. How many real friends did you have, people that you could really, really trust? You have fewer and fewer of those with, with time, but you have more virtual friends that you can't really trust. I mean, really, can you trust 5,000 friends you have on Facebook? So that's kind of between the, this is the number, uh, more of lower value, lower connection. We also don't have time to interact with all of them. So the, the time component or or the intimacy, the interact with them face to face. No, we interact with them over words only on, on Facebook, right? So both the level of time and intimacy that we dedicate for trusting people, for interactions where we need to trust people, both of those are actually going down. Here's one more reason or two more reasons why trust is going down. In this episode, up until now, I talked about the six components of trustworthiness, and I showed you the decline in each and every one of them to explain why there's an overall decline in trustworthiness and therefore in in our trust, the trust that we have in people. But I wanted to touch two of the trust laws. So I'll start with trust law number five, the trust is transferable in in, uh, Episode 11 of the fourth season, I talked about fake reviews and, and why it's getting harder and harder to trust reviews. Well, the whole transferability of trust, the fact that we trust you because we trust somebody who trusts you, that's starting to go away. If I can trust the other person less or or I can trust the fact that he trusts you or she less. And as a result, we have less reliance on people that we really trust, the first-hand connections that we have, people we really trust and really take their advice. And we have more reliance on numbers, on how many people gave you a certain review. So there is a shift here from qualitative uh, transferable trust to quantitative transferable trust. But again, I talked more about that in season four, episode 11. And, and finally trustability if you remember the eight law of trust is the trust is two-sided my trust in you is the product of my trustability my willingness to trust other people and your trustworthiness well the problem is and i talked about that in the last episode of the last season so episode 12 of season four i talked about trustability and the trustability is really kind of the sum of the trustworthiness of different people of, of a certain type a certain group or all people in general and if you look at the model the six component model and you realize that our trustworthiness is declining in each and every one of those then is it hard to explain why our willingness to trust people in general is declining as well my whole process of trust habits and how you build how you form new habits that that change behavior to build trust is aimed to reverse all of that but in this episode it was it was important to me for me to explain to you why is trust declining i hope i achieved that What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it, write a review for this podcast, because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops at yoramsolomon.com slash workshops, online courses at trustedatwork.com, find my books on Amazon, or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.